It's just like every, the last time I was in LaGuardia, I was sitting there. I've always liked it because it seems like it's more convenient because I lived in Queens, so it just seemed real convenient. But it's just falling apart, you know. Man, I remember the last time I was in there, there was some woman just sitting next to me, and and I just watched like a cockroach crawl out of her bag and just like onto the floor, and I was just like, "This is so LaGuardia right now, man." That's New York. That's New York. That's not just New LaGuardia, man. That's everywhere in New York. Yeah, New York is a real dump. It's a dump. It is. No matter what anybody says, a beautiful dump. But then all of a sudden, now check this out. Yeah. Then. You see this glimmer of hope. My gorgeous dear lady from almost 20 years now, she's a cultural freak. She loves the arts to death. She's a music teacher. Uh And she's my dear heart. I love her to death. She decided that we were going to go and see Porgy and Bess at the Metropolitan Opera House. Man, what a difference between New York City and its element and then walking into that environment, that incredible artistic environment. I was devastated with the contrast of how you can come out of this cesspool of life (laughs) into the most incredible artistic uh, environment. High art. Uh, Artistry at its highest in the realm of, of opera, uh, the orchestra, the let alone Irving Berlin, uh, Irving, uh, uh, I, I, pardon me, uh, Ira Gershwin. Ira Gershwin? No, George Gershwin. Yeah. Make sure you cut <laughs> George Gershwin. Get your Gershwin straight. Man, George Gershwin. What a prolific writer he was. I had no idea, and I had no idea he wrote uh, uh, the music for uh, Poor Game Best. I just, it, I never even thought about it. Mm. And then to even take it another level higher, the orchestrator, it, it, I forgot what his name was, but he was the, I guess he was the gentleman that uh, orchestrated uh, Rhapsody in Blue for him. What an amazing musical experience for me as a musician. And it it just set me back to the reason why I wanted to play music or at least attempt to try to play music. And the things that I appreciate as a kid, as a little kid, because accidentally I would see these things on television. You know, being, being born in the 50s, television, radio, uh, was completely different. Mm. It was educational. It was artistic. Even with the simple things and uh, mundane, mundane things that came on yeah. uh, this, these, uh, the television, on the radio, they were incredible. Yeah. They were rich with culture, rich with artistry, even the simplest things, even I, a simple fully, commercial. You know, I fully get that. I don't want to derail you. I want you to stay on that path, but just yeah. real quick, I just think it's funny that... Uh, just last night, I have this weird thing where I start. I'll, I'll start watching ephemeral fi- films, uh, documentaries from the '50s, and a lot of them are just kind of mundane stuff. But I, just last night, I was watching a documentary that uh, the Caterpillar comp- uh, Corporation had put together, and it was like, you know, Earth. They make all the Earth movers and bulldozers yes. and all that stuff. But uh-huh. it was all. Fr- it was a 30-minute documentary narrated by Walter Cronkite. Beautiful cinematography. 
the narrative was this like sort of aspirational, beautiful narrative about, you know, uh, you know, the interstate system and what this means and, you know, all this and that we are sort of the drivers, you know, as Caterpillar company are of this kind of new frontier, you know, uh-huh. but they made something so kind of normal construction-y kind of stuff. They made it into this beautiful, poetic, very high quality thing. And that was just back then, everything was kind of made with that intention. Yeah. You know, so anyway, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of what you're talking about in yeah. terms of just that there was there was purpose and, and uh, artistic vision even in the, mon- the mundane in a different way than it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, cat to be sure, Caterpillar is, is, is monumental. Mm-hmm. You know, in their in their uh, their quest for str- uh, construction and mm-hmm. whatever they're doing, you know, and whatever so, they're doing. But now, what year did that come out? Do you remember? It was like fifty. There you go. You don't even have to say anything else. Nineteen fifties. <laughs> yeah, nineteen fifties yeah. was a prolific year, I think, in entertainment in every realm. And I mean, art. just art. I'm a monster movie freak, science oh. fiction freak. I love this stuff, and all my favorite science fiction. Movies, uh, all that stuff came from the from the fifties, from the beginning to the end of the fifties. When it got to the sixties, it was over with, sort of. I mean, there were some things that kind of impressed me, but the biggest things that impressed me and and left a a, a, a mark on me were in the fifties because of the way they did it. The, the level of artistry and production was completely different than what we have today. I think personally. Mm. Uh, what they had available to them, they used the creative mind and they used their artistic genius that was given to them by God. Remember that. <laughs> they used their artistic genius to create this illusion to us that they pulled us into this story. To, for me, as a kid, they pulled me into this story about this monster tearing up uh, buildings and things. So, uh, the, 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 the fight of man against this Thing that's going to take over the world and it's bigger than life it was so impressive to me so all those things that you're talking about you mentioned this documentary it's from the 1950s mm-hmm. i think for me mm-hmm. i think that was some of the best years of true artistry in every realm yeah it's interesting like because it's like post-war optimism uh the middle class was uh doing well uh, the impetus on, for everything was really around sort of uh, family and there was centralized kind of focus on, I think in the, in the broader culture on just everybody being okay and doing the best things that we can do. I mean, obviously culturally, uh, you know, a lot of things were still very behind, um, but <laughs> yeah. you know, at the same time, it is not, it's hard not to look at that as to see like the fifties is a particular golden era across anything that you can identify, right? Like if you look at film, you look at art at the, the you know, abstract expressionist, uh, works turning art on its head or you look at well, you know, bebop or you look at yep. automobiles yep. Or you, you know it's, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you're talking about everything can and i think i think that what it what was unique i wasn't there you were there but i guess what seems to me i mean i was born in the early 70s i've kind of had this weird warm feeling about the 70s in the way that you do about the, the 50s but uh but i guess the, my my thought is just that perhaps it's it's the 50s i think we're just these um firsts for a lot of things, a lot yeah. of story ideas or yeah. a lot of uh, concepts or a lot of things sort of came to fruition and became their own in that time at the same time. And yeah. then everything that's happened since has been sort of a an echo or a remake 
or like yeah. <laughs> like I'm gonna go see somebody play you know dinner jazz and they're pretending like they're in the 1950s or I don't mm-hmm. know like it's become like its own thing right right yeah mm-hmm. anyway yeah yeah, yeah carry I on. didn't mean to get off, no, off no. on that thing but that's a you know those things are those things are I have a high appreciation for uh, art and um, music and um, monster movies monster movies <laughs> well you know I think if I wasn't so into playing music and playing bass that probably would have been a special arts uh, uh, artist uh, like a uh, stop motion stop ah. motion is it just to me is, is an alien uh, uh, thing it's it's so in- prolific it's incredible in the process and it's incredible the result because uh, the result brings the story across in such a vivid way. Yeah, I wonder uh, what it is about stop motion that just as a medium, it has. There's something about it that works with our brains or something. You know what I mean? It's something yes. in our perception. Yeah, it's. It, I don't know what it is. It's the it's it, the visual effect that it has. Um, you know, something bringing something that's usually not uh, animated. It's sit still and bringing that thing to life in a way and, and that that is almost unearthly. It's unreal. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, Beautiful to me, nightmare. it's yeah. like an incredible nightmare. Yeah. Some of them are good nightmares, but a lot of them, when you're in this, in, especially in the realm of monster movies, it's, it's scary <laughs> because of the way, the, mm-hmm. the visual effect of it. I also think that a lot of the, if you're talking about like horror, <laughs> uh, as time has gone on and what's happening now everything's more about special effects and yeah. jump scare type of things yeah, it's more yeah. like this amusement ride as opposed to in, when, when things were more primitive those constraints were actually good because it put the burden on the story exactly and so you could create this anxiety and this this fear element or whatever yeah. in a much I think deeper more felt kind of way yes. because it wasn't relying yes. on theatrics yes. well the, the artistry the artist. The artists back then, I think. Now I know we're getting way off on, uh, away from music, off. but yeah. uh, but I because I, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the music thing. Sure, yeah. But I'm really into this thing because it affected me so much. Yeah. Every every time they use this technique, stop motion. I think um, there's a couple of stop motion uh, artists that I researched back from the 20s and 30s. And I really got into it. It was really an incredible art form because they really the the artist never saw never lost sight of the vision of the story. And he did in his creative mind. He stayed true to the story. And in fact, what he did was to me, he brought the story, boom, to a tremendous level of reality, even if it's fictional. He brought it to a level of reality that was beyond our imagination. And that effect of that artistry is what makes it so great. And I don't think today, in some some realms, and um, I don't think today they have the same effect because like you said, it's more special effects. And when they do introduce the idea of story, I think it goes way beyond what it needs to do. There's too much of that and not enough. 
there's not enough of a balance oh, yeah. of creative balance of, of the two yeah. of the story and the special effects that tell the story yeah now like everything's all payoff it's all soloing or something yeah 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 it's yeah. personalities <laughs> yeah. more than it's the true art like yeah. the old actors and actresses it was the art it was the character role that was impressive and that what's that's what made them who they were yeah now the personalities are dropped in each of these spaces and the personality takes over instead of it being character role do you follow do you yeah. fo does that make sense yeah well i mean in sort of folding it into sort of the musical conversation i, I feel like you know for someone like you that has you know uh, this ability to play you know um beyond the 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 realm that most humans have ever really been right like you're a, you're a frontiersman on a lot of levels and you're you're you know you probably don't think about it this way necessarily but it's like you know if you think about all the humans that have ever played bass right like you're in this particular uh place with that where you've experienced and achieved and learned uh a lot of a lot of things and i think what i what i th what i think is interesting is like hearing you talk about film and narrative and the power of story and the, the balance I, I feel like those are all sort of naturally musical um thoughts and i think that when you talk about the great actors really thinking of things as art mm -hmm. as opposed to um what is what's how's this about me and how can this story be as much you know hype or whatever is possible exactly um yeah you know i, I think it's interesting that you you've been in this position for so long uh, you know that you've you've worked so hard your whole life to do all these things and to keep doing them and you know really uh you you've given most of your energy not all of it but a lot of your energy into a cooperative and collaborative um spirit and you know formation uh you know working with uh mr jamal yes for for a, a very very long time and mm -hmm. i think that for someone to do that, I don't think a lot of, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think a lot of people would, no matter how great the, um, you know, I mean, obviously Mr. Jamal is a, a force of forces, but <laughs> but I guess you know, people, are, everybody's gonna wanna be like, yeah, but okay, now, when am I gonna turn the corner and this is kind of be about me, right? Right. Like when mm. people were coming up through Miles' groups, it was like, that was like, a, I, caught, I got that mark and now I can go, sell that you know and do or my whatever. Thing, right and so i feel like that you've got this very egoless way of going about what you've been doing but have all the reason in the world to not do it that way if that makes yeah. sense i i i've always been you know i've not i don't consider myself a great soloist i like to solo i like to but i like the energy of the effort the total effort because the total effort affects the whole thing and yeah. the audience feels that and gets that, and their reaction at the end, hopefully it's like, wow, this was outrageous. I'm excited out of my seat. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. And to me, it's not about me soloing or being an individual soloist, but it's me trying to support whatever that particular artist I'm working with, like in this case, Mr. Jamal, uh, who is, well, he's an alien. I, I people like him, Chick Corea, <laughs> yeah. uh, Einstein, <laughs> yeah. people like that. To me, they're aliens because they are above the average uh, pursuit of artistry. 
Mr. Jamal was born with this in his system when he was a little kid, like uh, quite a few other people, prolific. And so um, for me to be a part of that is enough for me, not, not necessary to go off on my own and say, okay, it's time for me to do my thing, although I like doing my thing. Sure. I have things I've written. Sure. You know, I have a little CD that's floating around in the airways somewhere. I don't know where it is. I haven't had anybody to help me uh, promote it. Sure. Because they, <laughs> they don't like it or it doesn't fit their their uh, thing. Yeah. But, um, I, not to be sure, yeah, I like to bring out my own voice and my own writing and thought. But I have a lot of fun and excitement, especially if I can see the vision at someone else this creative person I'm working for has and and it appeals to me also uh, I enjoy supporting that because I think that support is like the backbone of a, 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 a score say a music score a composer somebody like Ravel or Debussy they create and write a score for an orchestra and the effect is is exhilarating for the audience for the listener I like being a part of that because I think that's more important uh, soloists yes it's great you know there's there's a few of them that are out there that are just prolific but I think the biggest excitement the biggest bang is when the whole effort comes across as a monumental piece as a monumental statement as a monumental story that's why I think about movies the way I do and special effects the way I do because of the end result. The end result is tremendous. <clears throat> you look at a film and you look at everything that goes into that film. Uh, the film editor, yeah. the camera work, yeah. all this intricate stuff that is a part of that production. Yeah. That end result is what they're, the great artists, the great d uh, directors, all these people that work underneath them catch the vision of what they're thinking about. They see the vision and they say, okay, we're going to do everything we can to bring that vision across. Now, to be sure, you have someone at the top, the writer, that says, you know, I got this vision of this story, but I need the people to implement it. Yeah. Here I am. I'll help you implement it. Yeah. I see what you're talking about. So that's the same way I think as a, as a bass player and as a musician. And I, I feel so fortunate to be a part of, in some small way, a part of, of Mr. Jamal's uh, musical environment. And, you know, yeah. and it's, to me, it's, it's a great privilege. You know, yeah, and, well, it seems to me like it's also mutually, it's a mutual consideration from, from what I understand from the outside looking in. It's like, uh, it seems like that he has always felt the same way. I mean, his, his latest record is, kind of the first solo piano stuff that, that he's I mean, okay this guy's been making records since like the early 50s or whatever mm -hmm. and here we are finally getting sort of these solo pieces which I know there's a few that, that you you played on as well but but just the idea that from what I gathered that was a little bit like pulling teeth a little bit it wasn't something it wasn't an instinct <laughs> to like okay now I'm gonna make this thing it was like somebody had to kind of like uh, I guess whoever produced it or whatever it was sort of pulled that into you know wrestled that into reality but it wasn't yeah. part of the instinct right. and that's really a testament to the idea of how um, what I see it for Mr. Jamal is that this collaborative uh, interactive um, 
human yeah. conversational yeah. Um, vibration or whatever about playing and mm-hmm. is what really excites him and it's not so it seems like you guys are sort of similar uh in that way where you're always thinking about the larger I think construct. so yeah. I mean I think Mr. Jamal just plays because that's just what he does yeah he can't help himself yeah there's so much going on in his hat yeah he has a tremendous I mean I'm assuming he has a tremendous library of music classical standards movie scores all kinds of things in his head and he is such an alien he can take it out at any moment and and that will be a part of his improvisational uh, structure, his improvisational pursuit, his statement, just because it it comes from a library that's gigantic. You know, your li- if your gi- if your library is big, mm. your your statements are going to be pretty big and and prolific. And to me, uh, that's the way he plays. He plays, especially now. I don't know if anyone's watching, but. You know, his playing with, with the, the, the quartet is really great. But my favorite stuff that he does is the in-between, the rubato. His rubato stuff to me is prolific mm. because it's about what's happening in here. Mm. It's not what's happening over here or over here and the shredding. Yeah. But there's this understanding and interplay of coloration you know, like an artist takes color and he paints and he paints and he paints. To me, that's the real deal. And I love when he cues me in to kind of improvise with him because he allows me to be the, a part of that uh, process in a supportive way. I have to always think supportive, not soloistic, even though I get it gets dangerous. <laughs> but I yeah. always have to think so. I like to su- try to support that uh, that. Uh, pursuit of improvisational moment, yeah, you know, so speaks. That makes sense. Fully makes sense. <laughs> well, it's sort of like he's inviting you into his palette, but that doesn't mean you're the one putting paint on the brush. No, no, no. You're just you just know what the threshold of uh, the spectrum is that you're to operate in and uh-huh. to uphold or uplift, and that makes total sense. I mean, how that me- mechanically makes sense in terms of playing bass inside what Ahmad Jamal is thinking, I don't. Have any idea how to even put that into a context? That, you know, it's like asking somebody, like, you know, what is it like to do a high wire act or whatever? It's like, you know, uh, I'm sure that it's it's littered with sort of something really plain and simple, as much as it is something otherworldly and outside of yourself, and you just kind of ride that line. Yeah, it's it, you know, as far as me joining that, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, as a kid, I used to listen. Like I said, I grew up listening to a lot of stuff on television and on the radio and records my mother and father strangely enough we were we were this little afro-american you know not not rich you know not not poor totally because we did have what we needed but we my mother and father had all these old records you know of nat king cole and and different singers like that, Ella Fitzgerald, and I mean, really had those records. Johnny Mathis, yeah. and as a little one, maybe what, two years old, three years old, I heard that, and I was jumping out of my socks hearing it. I loved it. And then when I got old enough to stand high enough where the television were yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, they were on. When it used to be a, a piece of furniture. Yeah, a piece of furniture with four, four legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I was just that high. Yeah. So. 
Of course, I'm standing in my diapers looking directly at the television, and television was much higher quality back then. You saw symphony orchestras performing fully for an hour or two. Yeah. Fully. Yeah. You saw Duke Ellington and his band shredding a chart to death. Yeah. And I saw that, and it got in under, underneath my skin, yeah. like in a... Uh, inadvertently by some kind of dish soap and then back to the shredding man yeah, it yeah, was yeah. It, 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 I, I can see it I can feel it and see it right now yeah. because all those and just even some of the things on television like the commercials simple things like that back then they had such a creative process even with the limited uh, techniques they had their genius took over and it allowed them to really bring a vivid story across, even in a simple commercial. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw countless uh, stop motion animation techniques in some of these commercials. Absolutely, yeah. So, so all these things affected me in a great way and brought me into this realm called music. And, and it, it just put this want to do that. What is the musical equivalent of stop motion, you think? Like, is, would that be like sort of Almost, almost like uh, like iterating some sort of scale at a tempo or something. Or I don't know. That's funny that you. Said. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think there's an equivalent, so to speak. I think there's just a process. Wait, like does that have an effect? Like like stop stop motion. Yeah. I think I think I think <clears throat> stop motion is just another one of the techniques of bringing the story across. Yeah. It's just such a crazy uh, technique. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> play, play, just playing nothing but muted strings. <laughs> I don't know. I think. I think. I yeah, think yeah. just the process of bringing music across. Yes. And and also in in coming from a creative mind, and a creative heart, and spirit, I think that's becomes the same has the same effect as maybe something like stop motion because it affects the audience it affects the listener and it draws an emotion out of them mm. it reaches in and says it throws this color at them in a vivid way from the creative mind of whoever's doing it and it says here come over here check this out yeah i'm gonna make you feel very sad right now with my collection of notes yeah and voila yeah, you're in tears. Yeah, wiped out. I I can't tell you how many times I have been that way. Yeah, and at this and then another instance, I'm going to make you jump out of your seat, measure by measure. I'm going to make you watch the cliffhanger, but I'm going to knock you out with this music, and that music's going to enhance the fact that the car is about to drop over the cliff. Yes. <laughs> well, let me tell you right now. Like I'll, I'll never forget when I first heard. Uh, Ahmad Jamal live in Paris ninety two. Acorn. <laughs> I was playing. Was I playing fretless bass on that? Yeah, and I think it was because it, it was the it drummer was, was uh, uh, Bowler Day Bowler. Yeah, yeah. Man, that stuff was. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, I was talking with uh, my friend Scott about this recently, but we were just kind of looking back at like our sort of journey through, you know, your work and associated things and. And we were just thinking about how, you know, when we were really young, you know, it's like any other kid, right? Like, you, you, you want to be amazed. Everything's like a stunt show, right? Like, 
I want to see, I want to be blown away by the the human limits of what can be done musically and fusion and like all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And there was, it was such a, a you know, and then we were starting to figure out and we were kind of getting through, you know, phase one of like really trying to understand Miles Davis or whatever it is when you're really young, you're like, oh, there's this whole, oh, well, so that modal jazz came from, wait, so what is that? And then you start to kind of trace everything and then mm-hmm. you start to bring, unearth all these things. Like I said, we didn't have the internet, so it was sort of like you start to correlate stuff and then you, you get curious and you go find it. Yep. And I just remember hearing that stuff from the, like the mid 80s and early 90s mm-hmm. period, which was, you know, that was some pretty fiery stuff. Um, yeah. Probably the most raucous of, of your interaction with, with what you got, you know, what you guys have been doing, but, but I guess my point is just that uh, it was such a, an epiphany to, um, in the pursuit of all this other sort of fusion chop kind of music, whatever, all of a sudden there was something that was just as capable as any of those other things. It wasn't about this contest anymore. It became musical and fluid and uh, human and liquid in this way that all of a sudden just, it kind of brought me full circle to realize that Everything that I had been pursued in the pursuit of in my early times of understanding music, it all came back to to mm. that musicality. Mm-hmm. Those that to me, it's it's. I love shredding. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it cannot take the place of the true and all musical experience. Shredding has to be a part of the story. And shredding has, I call it shredding, it's silly yeah. to call it, but all this, this stuff, it has to create something. It can't just be a shred for shred's sake, which a lot of us end up doing. Sure. I'm guilty just sometimes. Just you can doesn't mean you should. Right, right. Yeah. right. I mean, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm not going to say I I'm not. Say, I, I, maybe a couple times I've heard you go off the deep end. Yeah, foolishly. Uh, <laughs> no. But, you know, I really, my quest <laughs> always has been really create a thing and and some of my favorite favorite all my favorite you know whether it's straight ahead jazz or contemporary jazz or even smooth jazz or classical music my favorite moments in that is when that story comes across when the theme comes across in in a a prolific a prolific way in a creative way the coloration of it the the you know how it's stretched how it's squashed together how it's colorized how it's supported yeah how the theme is thrown in different places how there's i mean the structure of music is uni- is gigantic it's a universe of 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 application and thought and ideas and it's not limited it's well it is limited to your creativity as a writer and then as a performer of it to to imagine it your part and your functionality in that process. Yeah, it, it's when that comes across, then we're talking about music. Shredding is cool, but it's got to have a musical functionality. Otherwise, it's just shredding into the air. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's in yeah. the air. You know, You're like look at me. But yeah, so uh, what do you, what is like what is the most challenging, difficult, unfun? What is the hardest part of of what you've been been doing for so long? What's the hard part? Yeah, like what's the like the, the either the part that you just you're like man if it was if it was all this but this part like I would it would be 
Nirvana or if it's something where it's just like, you know, the hardest thing for me, it, just curious about sort of your unique perspective on, on the challenges. Cause kind of like what we were talking about on the way over was just sort of about, there's this kind of illusion, I think, where, you know, people think that like once you're there, you're just kind of there. Yeah. But, uh, but you're always learning. You're always striving. You're always overcoming things. You know, is this musical or everything, or life, everything, whatever, life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I find, I find the business, especially the business today is yeah. really, really destructive to, mm-hmm. to the musical artist. And I think comparably, there's only a few people that can break through and truly realize whatever they're doing um i think i think i think uh there are very few people in this in this world of music today true artists i mean really people who are pursuing the art really break through and present their artistry to the public in a way that people will appreciate it and large numbers of people can appreciate it those audiences are small, either because the audience, the mindset of the audience, or the outreach for the artist. It's very difficult business today because everybody can do it. And the techniques that we had years ago, the supportive techniques of a record company, people who had money to support it, are dwindled away. Yeah. Drastically, yeah. So those are to me that the business part is very difficult to deal with, uh, and it's me. I, even if I wanted to realize something for myself, I don't think I could do it because maybe my music might not be uh, as appealing <clears throat> to the middleman. Mm-hmm. We have we even though we don't have to have middlemen today. I think the middlemen that are in the middle that have the ability to take your product and present it to the public in a very big way in a very efficient way so everyone has an opportunity to listen and appreciate it and get a hold of it is limited it's limited because of their own lack of appreciation for the art yeah does that make sense no it does did i say something stupid (laughs) no no you didn't i mean i i feel like that there's so many uh anything in visual art i mean anything in uh, any medium that you can kind of think of that is creative, I think, is in this strange period right now where it seems like it's very contradictory. And on one sense, anything is possible. Anyone can discover what you do. The internet, da 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 da. You know, it's wide open. It's the new frontier. And at the same time, it's like everybody's kind of just getting lost in the noise. And then you got to find people that understand how to cut through this sort of noise and put things in the right place at the mm-hmm. right time, so you know, to the right audience. Mm-hmm. and really stand behind it and yep. believe in it and understand it. Mm-hmm. And that is a strange thing. It seems like the technology would be in a place where it's almost like you could fail upwards now because it's so easy, but it's actually the opposite. You know, I think that that's kind of almost what was more happening in the 70s, you know, like when labels kind of reached this level of like anybody could get a pretty decent record yes, deal, you know? Yes. So, so, of course, yeah. coming out of the woodwork, yeah. Is Joan Blow or Joe Blow? Yeah. Who uh, practice in your bathtub? Yeah. I got some other records. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Uh, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. It's yeah. it's. I think our our musical airways are, in general, our artistic art airways are being bombarded by mediocrity, by hearsay by fashion, by 
it looks like this. So you got to get that instead of like the true appreciation for what the art is and the pursuit of that particular artist and a level that's much higher than, 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 than normal. That's missing today to me. It's about the look, like we were saying before, like I was saying before, the character role is gone. It's personality that takes precedence. It's me doing this takes precedence instead of this story is about to be presented to you by this whole thing, yeah. this team of great artists from the film editor, the guy that runs the camera, the lights. An assembly of craftsmen. Assembly of craftsmen, yeah. yeah. You know, they really deeply care and are, are on their own quest. Yeah, They're finally and, all you know, collaborating. And, yeah. yeah and, see the vis- and see the vision. Yeah. And see the vision of what's been, you know, the, the, the story. See the vision of the story. And, you know, it always takes a person to write the story and have this collective mind, but everyone else has to see the vision. I think um, there's just too many stars out there, me stars out there, uh. and not enough of true artists pursuing the art because it is an it is a beautiful thing. Art is a beautiful thing, whether it's vocal, uh, instrumental, uh, um, sculpture, literature. It is a great thing, especially when it's brought to a high level or presented from someone who has a high level of ability, God-given ability. And I think it's missing today, big time. So <clears throat> I think we have a lot of record companies, yeah. promoters, managers, producers, agents who accommodate that mindset instead of really allowing some of the greater artists to come through. Yeah. It's almost like there's like a string of people all interrelying on each other. I don't know what that is. That is not my phone. But um, anyway, so, uh, you know, cheers to whoever did that. So, um, <laughs> but I feel like the, the, what you're talking about the, in terms of the record industry and, and all the people involved is it feels like that where things fall apart is that there's all these people that are relationally sort of correlated to each other that are all unfortunately defaulting to this kind of mode of self-preservation or uh, orientation of what they're accomplishing to the self yeah. as opposed to um, the selfless and saying, uh, you know, I have these tools, I am this craftsman, I can't do all of this by myself, but yeah. I want to employ and bring mm-hmm. in all these people. You know, that's what I think is, you know, again, so cool about Mr. Mister Jamal, mm-hmm. you know, is it's like, uh, talking about somebody that could just do anything that they want to do yes and his vision and his yes. execution of that has been pretty tried and true and mm-hmm. pretty straight mm-hmm. ahead i have a weird question for and, you and it, you know and it's groundbreaking yeah yeah, yeah. it's always been groundbreaking yeah. you know you know everyone's learned from what we do in an improvisational way mr jamal um this is the great thing i like about playing with him he allows the ensemble to support his improvisational thought patterns. Now, you have to have an A-team for that. You understand what I mean by an A-team? Yeah. You have to have a drummer, a percussionist, and a bass player that collectively can function in a way that allows him total improvisational pursuit. 
So when he has a group like that, he can do that to the nth degree, as much as he wants, as long as he wants. And his mind never gets bored up here. He's always creating, creating a coloration, a thought, in his improv, just in his improvisational uh, perspective. So I'm not bragging about us, but you know, I think we are the A team for him. Yeah, including Harlan Riley, yeah. great, great, great timekeeper, great, great drummer yeah. and musician. Him and fantastic percussionist Manola Badrina. Myself, I'm kind of joining with them. Put yourself in there. Um, I think we've been considered the A team yeah. for him. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I'm not bragging or anything, but I think our the way we operate, we allow him the utmost in his improvisational pursuit of music. I love it. So it's evident, right? And that's what's so cool. Even if, even if somebody listens and they're not acutely aware of the mechanics of that the, the relationship and how that works it's mm-hmm. something that people you're going to feel that but but, yes. I, but I, get, I think that uh, well one of the weirder kind of questions I have was like because in acknowledgement of yes like by time and history and everything you guys all the people you mentioned are certainly the, the A team um, there's been points where other people have come in and out yes um, absolutely so got, <laughs> like you know uh, whatever John Hurd or Idris Muhammad yes. or these various, various yes. characters through the years that yes. have had their their times. Yes. I guess what I was curious about was like, like say in the case of John Hurd or somebody like that, do you do you seek out kind of like what did they do when they were put into this environment that might be illuminating or telling? Like, is it of any intellectual interest to to listen to? what other bass players did perhaps mm-hmm. on the same tunes mm-hmm. um, sure. just to kind of sort of go oh that's kind of interesting not to borrow from stuff or to no. cop somebody I'm just saying no. just to, because it really is this whether somebody's present and you're collaborating with them or whether someone comes in leaves a document and moves on right it's still part of this progression yeah I think I listen to I always listen to everything as much as I can because it yeah. does fuel my perspective it helps me enhances my ability to do what I need to do yeah. in listening to different perspectives, yes. different ways of approaching things. Um, let's go back to the original. Israel Crosby and Vernell Fournier. Prolific drum and bass team. They supported Ahmad perfectly. That I mean, Israel Crosby picked bass notes in the realm of each song that fit Mr. Jamal's uh, pursuit perfectly, selflessly, yeah. but prolifically. I, he's one of my favorite bass accompanists. He accompanied Mr. Jamal to the nth degree. And it was simple, but yet his choice, his musical choices were so right on, it was like Mr. Jamal wrote it. he wrote the bass part every note that's what it sounds like but it was Israel Crosby understanding of what he needed to do as a bass player and and how he had to listen a certain way and then made a judgment call of notes to support what Mr. Jamal was doing and so you hear the functionality of what the bass does And, and so people like him I listen to and I gravitate to him and people like that, I gravitate to what they do because 
it helps me understand what my functionality is as a bass player in this time frame. So I don't lose any uh, strength, any any strength of that. I don't lose any sense of artistry. Uh-huh. I always try to get it right by listening to people like him, mm. like like Ray Brown, you know, the old great Ray Brown. Some of the old unsung heroes like uh, George DeVivier. You never hear his name. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who that I is. I love researching. I'm sure he's online somewhere. Yeah. George DeVivier. I listened to some of his bass playing and it was astounding. The bass notes that were chosen and the way he played. Not not soloing, not, not even getting around to soloing. Mm. Just the notes he picked within the boundaries of the situation musically. It's 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 so important to me because to me that has the end end effect. Yeah. So now when when you're like you know so excited, I, I'm uh, my wife and I are going to go see you guys play tonight at the Skirmerhorn Symphony Hall here in Nashville, mm-hmm. which is super exciting. I know you guys haven't really been here, which we were talking about earlier. It kind of blows my mind, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, but it kind of you know uh, Nashville and jazz have had a strange I think um, history. Um, but uh, super excited about that. But I guess I was just curious about, you know, it's kind of, I have this question I think a lot with anybody that's done something that's very successful where it's like, okay, I have not asked you about your set list tonight, but I know that there will be certain quotations and certain things on the menu that will absolutely be there. And mm-hmm. I'm not even mention what they are because I just know you got to play the hits, right? On some <laughs> level, I, I guess so. But like I say, I I can't supersede anything that Mr. Maul does. Yeah, he, yeah. I know, I know he does certain things, but I don't know if he's going to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing. I could be yeah. totally wrong. Yeah. I could be wrong. Please, please surprise me. And I'm not saying. I guess what I'm curious about though is just it's more about how like when you when you're doing the same exercise over and over again. <laughs> playing this having this guided experience through a a song over and over and over again to the point where like you you feel like probably you've explored every pathway but there's always another one there's always another one there's always another one is that sort of is that a different musical sort of mentality and modality like it's almost like a you know a monk with the sand you know painting or something it's like, is there something about doing the same thing all for 35 years that is breeding a different type of experience or enlightenment or knowledge for you that perhaps maybe the newer fresher things do um how do i answer that um i think No matter how many times you play something, let me put it, come from that angle. No matter how many times you play something, especially if it's a great piece or a great environment that the piece finds itself in, there's, for me, for me as a specific musician, as a bass player, I'm excited to play that tune a thousand times over. Why? because of the pure artistry of it. Not because, oh, we're gonna play this again? Do we have to play this again? No, I don't think of it that way. Yeah. I always think of it as... You get to. You gotta get to this, man. (laughs) You gotta get this. It's another, it's, and it's musical, it's artistic, 
And the way we, way Mr. Jamal, now he's our director. Keep that in mind. I say quotes our director. You know, like he's he's the conductor. Yeah. So he does it way he wants. He he directs it the way he wants. The arrangement goes the way he wants, and we don't know which way it's going to go. Never until we're in it, and it's fun. And sometimes we don't even know the repertoire that we're going to do. Yeah. He got us this time. This in San Francisco, we played. Uh, about a month and a half ago and we spent four days and we rehearsed the day before we actually started and he threw a wrench and this works but we played it because we were the A team we knew <laughs> what to do yeah um, we rehearsed a few tunes that you know we probably would touch on the first day of the gig totally different set almost all the way through totally different set of tunes that we haven't played since the 80s as that team we were that same this same group was the group that was originally with him when I first started with him Harlan Riley and Manola he played all those he played a bunch of things from there that we hadn't even rehearsed <laughs> and I you're talking about oops oh boy I had to put a thinking cap on lickety split like right then and there Thank God we were able to pull it off, but boy, it was hairy. Yeah, <laughs> and but it shows you the 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 necessity to be a functioning supporter of what he does. Always be ready. Always be ready for the unexpected. Yeah, what to expect from him? The unexpected, always. So my antennas have to be thirty feet in the air ready for anything that's happening i love it i love it that he's 89 years young yes he is keeping people on their toes <laughs> you know what i mean like, this is i love this this is so amazing well i have to tell you i'm the old guy now when i first started with him i was in my early 20s yeah and i was like the kid yeah for a long time and it scared me and now it scares me even worse because i'm the old guy yeah. <laughs> he's 89 years old and every time he sits to the piano there's no gaps. It just, boom, we're on it. Let's go. Unreal. Only time we get up, says, I think I'm going to go and eat now. It's, it's time for us to go eat. <laughs> Time's up. Okay. And that's it. Otherwise, we're, we're in it. And he's intense on it. It's, it's pretty serious. And I love that. It's not just like a... Oh, it's nice that people can still play this music and great. Like it's no, no. This is still pushing forward. This is a pursuit yeah. of the artistry of improvisation. I love it. It's a serious pursuit. So it's and, really inspiring, man. And he's 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 at the top of the heat when it comes to that. Yeah. He's Mister. I'm going to do this to this and this and to this. Even if I said I was going to do this before, I'm going to do this this. And I love it as a bass player, as a as a musician still trying to figure this stuff out. I love it because it it really challenges me to the nth degree as a musician. It challenges my library. It challenges my bass playing all the time, technically, physically, and mentally. And the end result is a true great piece of artistry to me. You know, it's and it's not a moment of like, okay, we're gonna shred and shred and shred and shred. Yeah. It is a moment of great musical history to me. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's, you know, like, and that's where I'd like to sort of 
sort of end up here is because you know it, it means a lot that you would take the time to to sit down and talk with me today and it's been real cool to do that and uh it's gonna be really great obviously to hear you tonight and in nashville and not somewhere else uh <laughs> you know in music city proper yeah but, uh, but you know i you know it is hard not to uh I, I try to i try to pay attention to things i suppose and i i feel like as much as we're not on a, this is not a history tour. This is not a retrospective, mm-hmm. right? This is just uh, another, um, you know, sort of part of this continuum that is has been unfolding for a long time. It's impossible for me though not to just sit back and observe how much of an impact that all of what you guys have done has affected me in my life and what it's given me, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and. Just this, there's just levels of, of joy and and amazement and all the out of the seat stuff and all the other things where it's like, I feel lucky to have been alive at the same time that this was happening, and I feel lucky to be alive to be able to sit down and talk to you about it. And I think about how I felt, you know, when I you know when i was a kid or whatever and like meeting pharaoh sanders or people like this where it's just uh-huh. like i can't believe i'm on the same planet in the same space as these aliens <laughs> are right now you know yeah as you put it aliens you know it's, it's it's uh i just i am just very grateful to have been cognizant enough when i was young to sort of pick up on a lot of this stuff yeah to yeah. be able to watch uh-huh. the story unfold uh-huh. and the story that you guys have been telling and are going to continue to tell uh is just something of such uh, importance and a value to, to so many people and it, you, you know i just hope that uh um that you know that other people get a lot from the life force that you've given well i appreciate i'll tell you i have to i have to say I, i'm honored thankful to god first he gets credit first, right off the bat. Yeah. Because I can't do anything unless he gives me the ability to do it. Um, I, I'm, I am honored for the ability to, in my very limited way, to even bring that kind of music across and to be a part of something this heavyweight, to play with someone like Mr. Jamal. I'm totally honored every time I step anywhere near the stage let alone having to get on the stage at 8 o'clock at night and for the downbeat in front of many people to be able to pursue music with this man. So for me, every step of the way has been an honor and, 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 and a privilege to me. And, and, and I do it in my very limited way, but I, I do the best I can with it. And that's all I can say. Well, <laughs> uh well, you're you're doing just fine. Uh, I don't have any specific recommendations for you, but you know, okay. I don't have any tips or tricks for your your playing. Oh yeah, uh, YouTube trips, yeah, tips and trips. Yeah, yeah, like I don't know, dude, do play that faster. I don't know. No, uh, no. So listen, uh, we're gonna get out of here, and I'm gonna get you to your to your next stop. But uh, but again, thank you, thank you, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure and an man. Honor thank for you, real. man. Thank you for having me. I I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about this.
Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.